Hi, I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. Welcome back to the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. But before we talk to our TechCrunch writers, here's what else is going on in tech news this week. There's a proposed bipartisan U.S. crypto bill that could be a sigh of relief for the industry. Lawmakers all around the world have been trying to address what to do about digital assets, or what TC writer Jacqueline Melanick calls the trillion-dollar elephant in the room. A proposed crypto bill sponsored by U.S. Republican Senator Cynthia Loomis and Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand aims to install guide rails around the digital asset space. The 69-page bill is comprehensive and addresses many corners of the crypto market, including making crypto transactions under $200 tax-free, defining guidelines for differentiating cryptocurrencies as either commodities or securities, and marking the U.S. SEC, or Securities and Exchange Commission, and CFTC, or Commodity Futures Trading Commission, as the main watchdogs over the digital asset industry. According to Ken Goodwin, Director of Regulatory and Institutional Affairs at Blockchain Intelligence Group, granting the CFTC oversight of most digital assets is setting a precedent and giving the agency more validation. Although there are a number of steps left before the bill becomes a law, or doesn't, other market participants are optimistic about its chances. So you can read more about that by Jacqueline Melanick on TechCrunch Plus and use code TCPODCAST, all one word, for 20% off a subscription there. Tesla has accused a civil rights agency of unlawfully suing for racial discrimination. So Tesla accused the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing of failing to conduct proper investigations before it sued Tesla for racial bias at its assembly plant in a petition newly filed to the California Office of Administrative Law. The DFEH filed a lawsuit in February against Tesla for alleged racial discrimination and harassment of employees at the company's Fremont, California factory. Tesla had been attempting to pause the lawsuit in order to settle claims outside of court, which the automaker has argued should have been an option before the DFEH resorted to a lawsuit in the first place. A hearing has been set by a California Superior Court judge for August 23rd for a motion to dismiss based on the questionable practices of the DFEH. However, sources familiar with the law told TechCrunch the petition likely won't have an effect on Tesla's case, largely because it would have had to have been submitted before the case began. The DFEH's lawsuit against Tesla is one of several pending in California courts that accuse the automaker of tolerating discrimination and sexual harassment at its factories. You can read more about that case by Rebecca Bellin on TechCrunch. Apple's WWDC, or Worldwide Developers Conference, took place this week. And at it, we saw a lot of exciting announcements, including a brand new MacBook Air powered by its second generation M2 processor. That is a smaller and lighter machine than the one it replaces with a better screen and improved specs all around. And it's coming out next month. Apple also made a surprise announcement that it's entering the buy now, pay later space with Apple Pay Later. This is its own service where it's actually managing the allocation of funds for these microloans for customers, which will allow people to pay back over time. There's a lot of questions up in the air around this one and a lot of discussion going on. And you can read more about that on the site. There's also new features called Undo for iMessage and Mail, 
That's right. These things that people have been asking for for essentially since these services were offered are arriving in iOS 16 and the next version of macOS. Now they'll be timed just like they are currently for Gmail, but still it's a big improvement. Something that happened this week that was big Apple news that didn't actually come out at WWDC was that researchers at MIT discovered a vulnerability in the M1 processor architecture that is not patchable that would allow attackers to exploit impacted machines. Now, this is a pretty deep exploit, so you really have to already be quite exposed in order for hackers to take advantage of it. But still, it's a major story and you can read more about it on the site from Carly Page. Another thing that came up at WWDC was improvements to Apple's continuity features, which connect experiences across their ecosystem of devices. And we actually have an interview this week coming up on the show with Kurt Knight from Apple to talk all about that. But if you want to hear more about WWDC and learn everything that was announced there, you can go check out all the coverage on TechCrunch. There's tons of it. And Greg Kamparik has a roundup that helpfully links out to all the coverage in one central place. This week, we talked to Kurt Knight from Apple about some exciting announcements from WWDC and also Lucas Matney about why a former OpenSea exec's arrest has the crypto world on edge. So let's get into it all. First, we've got something a bit different for you because this week we're talking to someone who doesn't work at TechCrunch. We're joined by Kurt Knight, Senior Director of Platform Product Marketing at Apple, who's going to talk to us about some exciting features that were announced at the Worldwide Developer Conference, WWDC, this week. Hi, Kurt. Thanks for joining us, especially during WWDC, which is no doubt busy for you. Oh, well, it is busy, but it is an incredibly exciting week for us. It's been great to have developers here on campus. I couldn't be more excited. Awesome. All right. So just to get us started, I know what are some of the things I guess that you're most excited about that happened at this event or what are you most excited to talk about with uh, TechCrunch's listeners? Well, it has been some huge releases across the board for all of our platforms. But I, I think one of the things we wanted to go a little bit deeper on today was continuity. Um, right. we, had a, we had a couple of big releases with bringing handoff support in FaceTime and continuity camera. And this is really just a continuation of <laughs> support that we've been doing over the years. Right. Yeah. Definitely product continuity going on as well there. You talked about this quite a bit too, I think, when you made the transition. So I am curious about kind of the history. I know it happened way before the transition to your own processors, your own M series Correct. processors. But has that made it easier or, you know, were you always thinking this way or can you give us a little bit of the thinking behind the scenes from Apple about how they approach or how you approach continuity and how that's evolved over the years? Yeah, well, I guess let me answer that a couple different ways. So first, continuity as a, as a term was first introduced, that's 2014 when we introduced Yosemite on mm. the Mac side and iOS 8 on the iPhone side. And so that was with a suite of features. That was with handoff, with instant hotspot, SMS support, so you could be sending and receiving SMS messages on your Mac as well as making and receiving phone calls yeah. on your Mac. So that was the first time we used the continuity term, but really the thought process goes much earlier than that. That's really where we were really coming from a user-centric approach and thinking about the entire ecosystem and not just thinking about a single product line and what do we do for the Mac, but the customer journey. 
right? And so it, it, that goes back to when we introduced the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad, right? None of those were created as standalone business units. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting point that maybe gets lost sometimes because people talk a lot about like Apple, you know, and their approach to pairing hardware and software, right? Like one of the few companies that has that tight integration there. But yeah, you've also always had this tight integration, I guess, across the product lines too. And that is so in our DNA. It is something that just comes so naturally to us. I mean, it goes to how the company is structured mm -hmm. where, you know, at the very top, we're structured to think about we, we have a, a product group that thinks across the entire company. I can walk 100 feet across my you know, business plate and talk to every product manager that hits the entire spectrum of the business and get amazing insights and think about how our different products impact customers in a different way and how we can do the right thing for customers. Wow, that's great. And, and especially in a company that is known for also having so much secrecy around individual product development, but you still are able to work that collaboratively across no, it's, the... It's very much, and I mean, Apple Park is great for that, for, for enabling yeah. that type of collaboration. Yeah, for sure. So can you talk about, you mentioned some features there just in passing. You know, it kind of was eye-opening to me because I think I use these features all the time. And I kind of like don't even think about them. I mean, I guess it's not for customers to necessarily think about them as continuity things. They're just like, this is default. This is part of the experience, right? Like even receiving text messages on my Mac, that just is so natural to me now. And right? it's weird to think about that not being there. But how do you kind of decide what comes next when you're looking at where to expand continuity features? And before I go into the prioritization point, I think that point that you made of it feeling natural is such an, uh, I think, an observant point because I think that viewpoint depends on where you are. That mm. what can feel natural for someone who's gotten used to it, that we see people who come into the ecosystem and are blown away, right? right? Yeah. This idea that, oh, yeah, of course, if I'm on my phone, I see a great article. Oh, I could just copy that text, you know, walk over to my Mac where I'm working on a document and paste that text into my document. Of course, it just works that way. Um, yeah. And that may seem obvious to someone who's used to being in the ecosystem, but if you're not, you say, well, like, what in the world just happened? Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's I incredible. I have experience occasionally when I dabble in other ecosystems. That's true, right? And, and so I think that's the benefit of this thinking of let's not narrowly think about products. Let's think about the entire customer journey and what they're trying to accomplish, right? And how can we make them more productive? How can we make them happier, right? And that's that's why I think we have such amazing customer satisfaction rates. Yeah, for sure. Um, so and that leads into then the, how you decide what comes next, I suppose, if you're just kind of paying attention to where customer behavior is going or anticipating customer needs. Yeah, exactly. And I think it really is about where the customer is in that moment. And, you know, how can we be making them more productive? And mm -hmm. If you think of what has been the customer experience over the last couple of years and, and all of the different changing ways that people are trying to get work done, working from home, you know, working on the walk, if you try to walk the dog in between business meetings, these yeah. features that we introduced this year of FaceTime handoff and continuity camera just make an incredible amount of sense. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to dive a bit deeper into those. And, I, you know, the one, I suppose they both, yeah, make a lot of sense now that you bring up sort of the shift to hybrid work environments. But were these, how deep is the queue, I guess? Are you kind of like elevating stuff to the top that you've always been wanting to work on? Or is it truly a product of like, oh, you know what, like people really like using 
their iPhones to communicate with people, why don't we combine the two? Because they're now at their desks and at their computers a lot more. Yeah, it, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule mm. to that. There's always a long list of things we want to yeah. do. There's, we're not worried about running out of amazing ideas. Um, <laughs> we have so many things that we can't wait to get to. And so every year it is a hard challenge of figuring out, hey, which ones are we going to tackle this year? And sometimes some things just feel so obvious that, well, okay, clearly this is what we have to tackle right. um, this year. And sometimes there's things that are technically really challenging mm. and that we work on it year after year. And it's not until the stars align and it's the right moment of having the right technology that we're finally able to bring it out to the world. And so right. I, I do think different things are in different places. And I, I think with FaceTime handoff continuity camera, like this is, I think, things where this is really just the right moment for those technologies. Yeah, and does the platform transition help with that at all? Or is that, like with these specific features, does it make it easier to do that kind of thing now that you're sharing kind of a similar... Processor architecture? Having the common architecture definitely helps. One of the benefits of being able to work with the chip team and having that common architecture is that you have a team that's actually building to our needs. Right. And that's where things like the neural engine comes from. They understand our roadmap of what we're doing in terms of on-device intelligence and understanding our concerns about privacy and why we don't want to be sending all of your data out to the cloud to be doing intensive processing, but instead want to be taking advantage of amazing local processing to be doing all of that thinking and how that can actually give us benefits in terms of performance simultaneously. And so they can understand that roadmap and then build hardware tailored design for what we want to be building. So it certainly helps. Yeah, for sure. So we should actually, this is maybe a little bit the other way around from what people might expect, but we should talk in more detail about these features. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are already quite familiar. Just in case they are, do you want to give a quick overview of what you can accomplish now with FaceTime handoff and, and continuity camera? Sure. Let's um, let's start with um, handoff support in FaceTime. So handoff again, is one of those features that we first introduced back in 2014. And the idea is it lets you start an activity on one device and pass it to another. So maybe you're reading a web page or working on a document and making it really easy when you go from your phone to your Mac or vice versa, that right there waiting for you, like, oh, yep, I know you're working on this. Click, you can bring it up and keep going. Mm -hmm. Now, this is now bringing the same idea to video conferencing, which, as you imagine, is a little more complicated than a, a static web page because you need to seamlessly bring over the video and the audio without missing a beat. Yeah. And so what we do is we detect when you're in proximity to another device, and this works between iPhone, iPad, and Mac in any combination in any direction between them. And when you move in proximity of one of those devices, we'll put a little notification on that device's display asking if you'd like to move over. So maybe you're, you've been working on your Mac and it's time to, you want to go and take that call on the road as you go for a walk and stretch your legs for a while. You can pick up your phone, transfer the call over there, and we automatically move the audio over as well, including if you've got, say, AirPods in, the, the audio will switch over the AirPods as well at the same time. And so that is the handoff feature. Yeah, that sounds excellent. I, you brought up a paradigm, a working paradigm that I had never really conceived of before, but now I feel like I will take advantage of, which is 
if I'm in a particularly long meeting, maybe I'll just take that meeting on the road once it gets it, or, know, or the other, or the other way around, right? You get yeah. the, you get the call while you're out, and you've been talking, and you get back to your house, and you want to move to the big screen on your Mac, pull up some documents, and really take advantage of the full processing power and the big display on your Mac. It works that way as well, and whatever sort of direction makes sense for the environment that you're in. Excellent. All right. And then a continuity camera. This one definitely very talked about in my tweet deck columns that I've seen so far. Yeah, it's good to hear. Yeah, it was one of the stars of WWDC. We've, we've heard a lot of positive yeah. reaction to it. And the basic feature is its ability to use your iPhone as a webcam for your Mac. Right. And this is really powerful because, you know, maybe you've got an older Mac, maybe you're using a, a Mac mini or an external display that doesn't have a camera. You get to take advantage of your iPhone with all of its great optics as your webcam. Mm -hmm. And in addition to, you know, all of the great optics, it brings a suite of new features that you didn't have available to you before. Yeah. And it works wirelessly, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, 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 totally wirelessly. You can plug into optionally too if you want, right? Abs if you want absolutely, to. which if you're using it, like I'm using this as, I have an ex not surprisingly as an Apple person, I happen to have more than one phone, so I'm using it all the time. And so just right. to keep it on power, I keep it plugged in. So yeah, absolutely, you can plug in it if you want to. Yeah, and I think it's funny when I do video conferences now, which is all the time, people are always like, oh, you have great video quality. What are you using? And I'm like, well, it's a, <laughs> I'll tell you, but the total cost of the setup is probably $3,000. Wow. <laughs> because, you know, we're using, I'm using the professional photography equipment that I would be using in the course of my ordinary job in normal times <laughs> when I'm traveling out everywhere. Mm -hmm. But I've converted it for a stationary use, right? Mm -hmm. But this is something that everyone actually has with them and they can achieve very near the results that I've got here essentially for free, right? Well, it will work with any Mac that runs Mac OS Ventura is supported mm -hmm. and it just requires a iPhone XR or later. Right. So it will work for, and a lot of Mac owners, it turns out, have iPhones. Oh, so, yeah. So, so this, it turns out this is going to be a very large Venn diagram of Mac users. Yeah. This is going to be without needing to buy anything. They're going to have a great new webcam. We were talking earlier about the processor, what it unlocks when you can do different things with on-device processing. And that, you also alluded to some of the features. So can you talk a bit about some of those features and you know how you went into deciding what kind of features you were going to offer through this, in addition to just the basics of you know video capabilities? Yeah, well, there's four different features. Some were previously available in other contexts and some mm -hmm. which are completely brand new. So first there's Stenner Stage, um, which we have an iPad. It's on the Apple Studio display as well. And mm -hmm. this is a feature that as you move around, the camera will keep you in the center of the viewpoint. And so this is now available with this feature. Second feature is available is Studio Light. So what this does is it dims the background, it illuminates your face. It's basically like a virtual ring light. And it's great if you are in contrasty environments, like uh, if you have a window behind you or something like that. Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, again, audience can't see because it's audio podcast, but I've got giant fill lights. <laughs> 
here, which is not something most people have uh, with them, you know, just convenient it, to hand. And or, even you know. if you could, many people might not want their room yes. filled with and giant fill lights <laughs> and they might not want lights shining on them through video conferences all day long. And so I think being able to use the sort of processing on an iPhone to be able to do that and have a great picture without having to have all that equipment is something our customers might really appreciate. Yeah. And one thing that during the stream when they were presenting this feature that really blew me away and I was honestly not expecting it at all was the desk view right? portion. Yeah. So what can talk a bit about desk view and how, you know, you came up with that idea. And it it is really kind of crazy because when you see it, you it's hard to believe that there's not multiple cameras involved. So yes. what the feature is, before I tell you how it works, is when you turn on desk view, the person on the other side sees two windows. They'll see one window, they'll be looking at your face just like they normally would, and the other window shows an overhead bird's eye view looking down at your desk. And so that is great if maybe you're doing homework together um, your student, mm -hmm. you're doing homework together with someone remotely or you're, you know, you're teaching students. So you can imagine our designers loved it working remotely, showing and comparing different designers or you're someone showing off a hobby. There's so many different use cases you could use that for. But you now have this top down viewpoint that you're showing. But the really cool thing is how it's working. It's using the ultra wide camera feed. And because it is as the name suggests, it is an ultra wide. It literally, that one camera can see both your face and all the way down to your desk. Mm -hmm. We are using, you know, math to take what is, would look like a sort of one angle and computing it so that it is being computed to look like a separate camera top down view. And it is an amazingly it looks just like you have a, a camera floating above your head where, of course, you do not actually have a camera. Yeah, it looks remarkable, at least from, you know, I don't have firsthand experience with it yet. You do, Kurt, luckily. <laughs> but um, I can't wait to check it out because it is like really magical what it looks like you've been able to achieve there. And if anyone listening has at all ever attempted to do this at home with kind of a lot of complicated gear, it is not fun. And it can result sometimes in you dropping your phone or worse. <laughs> or, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not easy to accomplish. But I was thinking those use cases you bring up great. I think like also even just if you're doing like if you're a YouTuber doing haul videos or something like it, there's so many things that you can do oh. with that kind of feature. Yeah, and fun fact, there's actually a standalone desk view app on the Mac. So like if you're a YouTuber and just want to grab a video feed, you can use QuickTime and the desk view app and just do some quick video recording if you just want to grab a, a video feed out. Wow, that's great. And you mentioned too that it's wireless. So can you use it, can you use continuity camera to do like a remote view to your computer? Like if you were doing a walk around, maybe oh, like sure. your yard or yeah. something like that? Yeah, I mean, now it's, it is using... You know, it, it has to stay in proximity of your mm -hmm. computer, obviously, but it, it is wireless. So it is the cool thing. You could pick up your phone and, you know, move it around. And, you know, like if you had, you know, people in the area, you want to play videographer of not just standalone, you know, it's me doing video conferencing, but actually be, you have a party environment or something like that, a birthday party, and you want to walk around with the phone, you can absolutely do that. Yeah, and then snap it back and you're right back to yeah. webcam. Yeah, which, and I, I don't know if you noticed the Belkin stand um, that yeah. we showed off. It's it's using 
a MagSafe connection to the back of the phone. So it's actually going to work really well to just easily snap it on and off. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, that's great. I know I've also heard from a lot of people who were previously attempting something similar, but did not have a fit for purpose mount and were having a lot of difficulty with that. So that's great that you've got a partner like that. Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, I'm really excited about these new features. I think a lot of our listeners and readers are as well. So Kurt, just to wrap up, when can they get their hands on these things? So Mac OS Ventura is a developer beta right now. We're going to be shipping a public beta next month in July. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you're adventurous and want to try out a developer beta, you can then. But for most people, the right time will be when we ship the final release this fall. Right, right on. Okay, yeah, a lot of our audience are developers too, and they probably want to tinker with some of these new toys that you've put out there. So yeah, that's great. Lots to look forward to this summer and also this fall. Thanks very much, Kurt. Well, thank you. Thank you, Daryl. Next, we'll talk to Lucas Matney, who hosts the other TechCrunch podcast, Chain Reaction, along with Anita Ramaswamy. And they both write the corresponding newsletter, which is what we'll be talking to him about today. Hey, Lucas. So big crypto news this week, right? <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, no, there's there's always plenty happening here. I mean, the market's kind of, you know, not doing so great. So are we in crypto winter still? Or is the winter thawed? Well, I mean, it's kind of, I think all hope is pretty much lost. <laughs> but I will say, so, you know. The, the, so crypto perma winter. Well, the the market, the market, you know, went up to like 60,000. Like when it, when it had its first build, it dropped down to about where we are now. And then it went up again and went yeah. even higher. Yeah. So it's kind of Bitcoin's been in a holding pattern around like 30k. I think I think if it goes to like 25, people are just going to start like torching stuff down. Like Miami is going to be burnt to the ground. It's going to oh, be yeah. pandemonium, pandemonium in the streets. Well, I mean, looking forward to that. Uh, well, <laughs> 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 so we didn't have you on just to give us the rundown of the crypto world, though I do personally appreciate that quite a bit. But we wanted to talk about the big arrest that happened. The arrest heard around the crypto world as <sighs> titled by yourself and Anita. And I understand this happened while you're actually recording the TechCrunch podcast that takes crypto as its focus, Chain Reaction. Yes, shameless plug, Chain Reaction, which comes out at noon PT on Thursdays. Yes, we were, so we're recording it and this news dropped during it. And like, oh, there's so many different facets of crypto, but like ultimately I geek out the hardest about NFT stuff. Yeah. So anytime any news comes out there, I'm just like, I live for the drama. And this is a very dramatic incident. So basically, OpenSea, massive crypto startup. It's worth 13.3 billion. Huge. Yes. Which is, it doesn't mean as much to be a unicorn these days, but to be worth more than 10 billion still has a, a certain, a to certain be a 13 unicorn is still something. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So huge company last year, their head of product. So a real executive got called out on Twitter because he was basically buying up NFTs that he knew that OpenSea was about to feature on its homepage. Oh, wow. Which is like, a, you know, it's a big, they're the biggest platform for NFTs. And like being on the homepage is a big curation win. Yeah. So he was buying these NFTs, like parts of these collections, they'd go on the homepage, then he would just like immediately flip them, basically. Right. And, you know, it's not like he was making millions off of this. It says, you know, he made about 20 ETH, which probably at the time was like 60 grand. Now it's crashed. So it's like 35 or something. Right. But, you know, and that's not, that shouldn't be all but that much still, to an extent. Well, I mean, it's market manipulation, but... Here's the thing, wasn't it? 
It's not insider trading because it's some it's unregulated. Is it unregulated? I don't understand. Lucas, well, explain to me. That's a big part of the question. So he this saga came out on Twitter. People were just like, "Yeah, this is like kind of unchill." <laughs> and then he got fired. <laughs> yeah. And then fast forward about a year, and I guess now less than that, like you know, nine months or something. And he just got arrested by the DOJ, mm-hmm. and he's been charged with insider trading, basically, you know, fraud, all these things tied to NFTs. People in crypto kind of mostly care about themselves. So they didn't really give a shit about this guy getting arrested, but they did care about why he was arrested because they specifically said insider trading in this, which insider trading denotes that you are trading licensed securities. It applies to securities, right. Right. Which NFTs have not been designated as like a lot of people are like, you know, they're commodities or they're just something else entirely. But basically, you know, your feeble laws don't apply to them. Yeah, yeah, Uh, exactly. So this this freaked a lot of people out, basically, that all of a sudden (laughs) everything that they do is going to be illegal. Right. It must have been like a very every everybody out of the pool or like just let's freeze. Let's stop doing all of our things because many of them (laughs) might be illegal or. (laughs) Well, I. (laughs) <laughs> this uh, I, I posted this great meme in my story, which was Kevin from The Office, where he was like, I, I had, and then it had, you know, superimposed. I had Nate explain to me three times what he did uh, that got him arrested because it sounds an awful lot like what I do here every day. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, this is just what everyone in crypto is thinking because everyone does this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So do we know yet, what is the basis for treating it as a security? Is it kind of like, well, they're behaving as securities, therefore we're treating, because they haven't been like ruled or legislated as securities so far, have they? Yeah. So, I mean, they left it very unclear in the story Mm -hmm. or like in in the press release announcing it. So basically they said they didn't necessarily frame it exactly like insider tradings, but they said he was charged with wire fraud and money laundering in connection with a scheme to commit insider trading. So it's like- Specifically in non-fungible tokens. So they actually spelled out like... Yes. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this was brought by the DOJ. It wasn't brought by the SEC. Yeah. So I think that like part of this basically, you know, the Southern District of New York, like their prosecutor's office is generally more aggressive than other offices in terms of like trying to take on big tech or like tech regulation challenges. Like, yeah, they go after our liberals just (laughs) ruin everybody's party. Right. All these people are trying to become mayor of New York and then immediately become president. (laughs) But they're like they take a little bit of more aggressive edge. So I think they're trying to like spur in this thing the that it like maybe NFTs are securities and maybe we should be like aggressively prosecuting some of these people. Yeah. It sounds like they're maybe trying to end around some of the legislation. And then it sounds like also they're sort of putting a stake in the ground of like, well, it doesn't really matter because there's money involved and there's fraud happening. Is there other main sort of supposition, I think, right? Yes. This has been a situation where they... I don't know. They could have done a lot of things here, but I think like people were saying that OpenSea pretty much needed to sue this guy or something just because it was such a shitty situation. Right. It really hurt. I mean, I I would imagine it hurt their reputation, right? Like it's not like OpenSea can escape scot-free when someone on their team is doing this. So you would like them to implement some kind of punitive action, but beyond just the firing or no, is it fine? Yeah. So, I mean, like OpenSea, this is, it's not, people have negative connotations of NFTs as scammy things. So in this situation, like it's something like protecting their reputation as a platform that NFT users can trust, but also for people who don't really know what NFTs are 
aside from like, you know, scams that are being sent out there, this is like kind of like reputational in terms of like the total yeah. addressable market for them to reach. Yeah. I mean, at what point do NFTs reach a point where it's like, well, we got to rebrand them or try to introduce ones that are like, these are the good NFTs or are you already seeing that out there? I, you know, I don't know. Like these things came out of nowhere and then all of a sudden they're trading billions of volume every yeah. month and like have continued to do so. Like people are calling them like digital collectibles. People are calling them like all these other like patently better branded things. Right, It'll probably right. take Apple coming in with like some <laughs> if, if Apple yeah. does it my goodness I mean talk about yeah I'm no one's ever mentioned it I think has Tim Cook ever mentioned it has the word NFT ever come out of his mouth before I, I don't like. I I think he's mentioned like crypto a couple times but mm. I, I don't think NFTs ever touched touched his lips yeah, yeah I don't think so either uh, and I would be very surprised if it does anytime in the near future I don't know I have thoughts but <laughs> <laughs> okay well we could get into that too. It's WWDC week, but maybe maybe best save for another. Yep. Occasion. I, I I won't plunge headfirst there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are the stakes here? Like, well, first of all, do you think there's any chance that they get that this prosecution goes through all the way to the end and like he's actually convicted of something? And then if he is, does that then have implications for NFTs and their recognition as securities? I mean, unfortunately, I think this guy like already like pretty much copped to having done this, mm-hmm. <laughs> which right. generally isn't the best. Because he was kind of like, well, defense. it's fine. It's fine. It's kind of fine. Right. Well, so there's there's a whole other angle of this, which I'll touch on briefly, which is that like this guy was like not just some random executive. He was the only executive who ever communicated what OpenSea was doing to the public. Everybody <laughs> who was like an NFT person knew this guy. Yeah. And so it, like they're like, eh, like, should we cancel this guy just for committing some light fraud? Like he's been actually really <laughs> helpful in talking to us. <laughs> And like communicating what I guess it seems like OpenSea doesn't communicate their like product plans super openly. So they're and people have complained like since this guy got fired that they really haven't. They've clammed up. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, people are just like, yeah, you know, it's wasn't really great what he did, but like forgive and forget. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, okay, maybe he has like they have a lot of evidence to use against him. But assuming the judge buys that there's any malfeasance at all. Right. Like, I think it's like an element of this strikes me as kind of stunt prosecution or what is known as like trial balloon, trial balloon. Right. I I think they can get this dude for straight up fraud. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're probably going to get their like NFTs or securities designation. So like another thing that happened this week is like a big crypto regulation bill got introduced onto the Senate floor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's by a couple senators, you know, Republican and Democrat, who have like typically been fairly friendly to the NFT crypto industry. Gotcha. But like they're like pushing, you know, these things aren't securities. Most of these things aren't securities. They're all commodities. The SEC shouldn't have any regulatory power over this. It should be the CFTC or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that this case specifically is going to be what gets the designation done. But okay. I'm not a lawyer. So <laughs> go listen to a legal podcast. Yeah, it could be another rock on the pile that eventually collapses the bridge or i don't that's not even a metaphor i don't think yeah i I hear that one all the time that's a big popular (laughs) metaphor with with tech journalists uh, exclusively (laughs) another rock Uh, on the pile (laughs) uh all right well thanks very much for joining us lucas i have to go because i have all these apes that i gotta go like check out where their value has gone somebody just dm me and asked for the passwords and all my private keys and i just sent them because he said it could double the price of the apes so i think they're fine Congratulations on yeah. all the millions. I didn't yeah. uh, didn't realize you're doing so well. That's 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 great to hear. Yeah, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks for having me. 
That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And remember to check out all the stories we talked about in this episode on TechCrunch.com. Be sure also to use our TC Plus promo code TCPodcast, all one word, to get 20% off on both annual and two-year terms. Also, we've got some amazing events coming up, including TechCrunch Climate this week on June 14th. That's happening in person in Berkeley, and you can join online virtually. Tickets are on sale now. Check out all the other TC podcasts, including Found, Equity, and Chain Reaction, and see you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz, with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development, and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.